Good morning, Monday, October 18th, 2021. This is DC Signal to Noise. Since the last time we checked in, we got a couple of crop estimates that were bigger than what the trade expected. That put the markets on the defensive. The baseball season has been reduced to the Braves and Dodgers, Red Sox and Astros. My Cyclones won in Farmageddon against K-State. And I got a little wound up last Friday on AgriTalk after hearing that big oil hit job on ethanol on Fox News. That was interesting. I'm AgriTalk host Chip Flory. That is pro farmer policy analyst Jim Wiesmeyer. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. I'm in Washington, but Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Mixing it up on us a little bit. Yes, I'm at the SEPA meeting, crop insurance uh, agency. Yeah. It's well attended here. In fact, I speak shortly after the program ends today. Well, good. Good. All right. A um, little bit of sad news to kick things off here this morning. Former Secretary of State Colin Powell died this morning, Jim, at the age of 84. Uh, he was he was a leader when the country needed one. Uh, absolutely. And he didn't walk away from trying to find the middle ground, Jim, no right. matter what issue that it was. And we need more of him right now. Yeah, yeah. The family is saying that um, uh, the death was due to complications of COVID. He was fully vaccinated and there was an underlying condition. We need to keep that in mind. Yes. Yeah, yeah. All right. How? So you're, you're out in Seattle. Everything else okay? Yeah, it's a Fairmont Hotel, which I really liked. I've, I've been here before. It's a beautiful hotel. And just uh, uh, the last few meetings I've attended, they've been packed, Chip. So I think a lot of people want to get out and start the uh, networking again. And I had a number yeah. of interesting discussions at the uh, at the reception last night. I don't know whether you want to go into that now or later. Sure. Well, no, you know what? I do want to I do want to start with what we learned last week, because sure. There, there was so much going on with the supply chain. I think we ought to stay right there for just a little bit. And as of the last count, there's more. There, there's almost 600 container ships stuck outside of ports around the world. You know, you think about it around the world, it doesn't seem like that many. But when you, <laughs> when you think of how much commerce that is tying up on those 600 ships, Jim's, it's it's a massive amount. Yes, and we're getting uh, the the administration, the Biden administration is now acknowledging a lot of these things to such a degree that they had a White House confab uh, last week to try to spur, uh, spur some of the port actions. But that alone is not going to solve the situation. As you just said, this is a global situation. And what a lot of people haven't pointed out is China's role in this, because when they get just one chip, one, they've got a zero COVID policy. So if they found a, a, a COVID case in any of their port areas, they shut it down. Yeah, and, and it's very interesting. In my weekend reading, they're building hundreds and hundreds of units of many apartments, if you will. They look like warehouses in which if you come into the uh, cities or areas, you have to be quarantined for two weeks and an ag robot feeds you food. And they're building them all over. Now, I don't know what that, that is really uh, uh, interesting, whether they expect this thing to drag out, uh, whether they expect, expect another variant, but they're building all of them to, to house thousands of people, Chip. Oh, 
it, that's preparing for the worst is yes. what it's doing and hoping that you don't have to to deal with it, I guess. Yes. And um, Buttigieg, the Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg said over the weekend on the news shows that this uh, logistics thing is going to, you know, go into 2022. That's yeah. what most people have been saying. And, uh, you know, really, most of your Christmas shopping shipments are, are, are done in the summer, July. So it's not like, again, this it was not foreseen. But it right. looks like the Biden administration keeps on delaying the obvious. So uh, it's not going to be the Grinch who stole Christmas, but a lot of shelves uh, could well be bare. Yeah, there's no question about that. And, and, and we've gone from a case where a 20-foot container used to cost like 1500 bucks to get it to put your your process or your your products in it and ship it now it's fifteen thousand yes ten times yes. um that cost is not being absorbed by the manufacturer that cost is not being absorbed by the retailer by the shippers by anybody it is being passed on to the consumers yes and as that cost gets passed on and it takes us into 2022 the inflation pressures that we are dealing with right now, Jim, are going to continue at least that long. Yeah, at least well into 2022, if not later. And the Wall Street Journal has their, I think, quarterly survey out today. And it, and their economists are to the person saying inflation is going to linger. Uh, we, we saw it, what, at 5.4% in September. And uh, it's going to go up. Some people that I respect are not ruling out a double-digit inflation in the year ahead, Chip. Uh, let's hope they're wrong. But if that's the case, uh, you, you've got a really big miss on the part of the Federal Reserve and, and the White House uh, on this one. But, you you know, look across the board. You've got the energy prices surging. With, now they're saying we could have $100 uh, a, a ton bench oil, you know, barrel. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, we, we've discussed the ag uh, implications on, yeah. on the fertilizer and other chemical sides. But this is just not limited to chemicals or uh, cars. It's just across the board. And you have global inflation. This is just not in the U.S. And that was another thing. Uh, that uh, a number of economists are pointing out. So you've got the, the uh, worldwide uh, uh, on the price fr you know front going up. Yeah, yeah. It it's not. <laughs> we'll be talking about it again next week. Uh, you know, and the week after that, and the week after that, in in how uh, uh, we are progressing in in sorting out the chaos that is the the supply chain right now. Uh, Okay, let's let's go to what we learned over the weekend. But I want to say in China before we go to Seattle and what you learned at the reception, because uh, China launched a hydrosonic uh, missile that is capable of flying like five times as fast as any other missile that's been launched before, Jim. Yeah. Well, welcome to the new world of uh, weaponry China style. Uh, yeah, I think it could go around the world and then go hit its target, you know. Yeah. Uh, this is just the beginning of the future as far as war warfare as we know it, Chip. Uh, so, and then their artificial intelligence is, is at least what we know, capabilities are exceeding the U.S. right now. This is not me trying not to be negative on this one, but uh, uh, this is the world we live in right now, which is why defense is so important, Chip, not only yeah. from the missile side, but from the cybersecurity side as well. Absolutely.
Absolutely. Okay. So tell us about the reception. What did you learn? Well, when I worked the reception crowd last night, which is always fun because these are your best insurance agents in the, in the U.S., bar none. And there I, I got some themes. One was that a number of agents in the soft red winter wheat states were telling me uh, they've had too much rain lately and farmers are asking them about prevent plant. Now, normally you don't have that much prevent plant for soft red winter wheat. Now, I know right. it's not like an HRW crop in Kansas, but uh, I think it's going to be enough that the market may be surprised eventually about the uh, expected increase in SRW acres just are not going to be there. And then the the uh, other one was there were, were are, there are some Brazilian uh, sources here at this meeting, and they're saying uh, with the run up in uh, uh, nitrogen prices, uh, there there it could well affect Brazil's winter crop, safrina crop, uh, yeah. because of the supply and the price situation. And if that's the case, that's another market sensitive. Uh, area. And a number of analysts that I talked with here says, uh, you know, told me that uh, a growing number of farmers are going to keep their options open, Chip, until next year relative to their nitrogen needs. That means they're going to keep their acreage intentions open. Right. But here's the bottom line from a market perspective that my ear heard. Even though I think it was University of Illinois last week said that the run up in, in fertilizer prices adds uh, about 16% to the cost of corn production. The market, has, if it's allowed to work, has the ability, Chip, to uh, rally to you know get those acres planted uh, because don't forget the demand side. We've got pretty robust demand. Sure. And China's corn crop affected, I think, negatively more than expected. You could have a pretty good uh, rally, I don't know from what level, uh, next year <laughs> to attract those acres. That's the big question, from what level, Jim? And the the reason that I say that is because we, we've now got a bigger uh, carryover estimate for the end of the 2021-22 marketing year at 1.5 billion bushels. That yeah. becomes the beginning stocks for the 2022-23 marketing year, which is the crop that we're talking about that these fertilizer prices would impact. So, should the should the rally be starting from five bucks or from four fifty or from four dollars? Yes, we we don't know that at this point, and it's something that's going to take some time to flesh out and, 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 uh, and fully understand. So, yes. but I get it. I get it. The market's got time to compensate. Absolutely. Yeah. And then uh, I don't want to forget cotton. There's some cotton people here. So, and I always like, you know, talking cotton and what there's, uh, you know, to the moon now on the, oh, oak, yeah. and they're what, 110, 111, maybe. Yeah. 107. Uh, but it, was new, it was new crop that I'm asking questions about relative to, will we get more acres? And I got split opinions, but uh, the cotton people in the States uh, say, yeah, you'll get some, but they told me to watch the 92 cent area for cotton. I think it's just over 90 cents now, but 92 cents apparently is going to attract uh, more, more acres out there. So, so you've got some competing that again, you're going to have, you know, competition in, in those acres. Uh, so uh, they're, they're very happy cotton people here because the demand continues to be robust. In fact, the cotton people, here's your logistics problem again. They're concerned that we may have to cap 
some of the uh, export side due to some logistical snafus, Jim. So uh, again, that's coming into play in in, in the uh, in the cotton export market. Wow. Yes. That's interesting uh, because this market is really depending on big exports into China to justify where we're at on prices right now for both old crop and new crop. So, yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, over the weekend, of course, it was prime opportunity for the um, for the players in the Build Back Better negotiations to get on national news programs and hash it out on on live TV again. What did we learn from that? Well, it wasn't on TV, not just a TV chip. Friday, Bernie Sanders wrote a editorial, if you will, yeah. and it, to, to a West Virginia paper. Now, that's where <laughs> Joe Manchin's from, and Joe didn't flinch. He came right back. Here we go again, somebody from outside West Virginia telling us what to do and how to do it. So you've got a continued uh, intraparty discord, is a nice word to put it, within the Democrats on this. And this this thing's dragging out, Chip. They're, even the White House officials clearly are, 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 are getting anxious of this because decisions are going to have to be made. Now you have somewhat of a disagreement between Pelosi, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, Democrat California, who's saying, you know, maybe we have to do fewer things better in, yeah. in our cuts. But then, uh, you know, President Biden over the weekend says, you know, he he wants almost every topic that's in the Build Back Better plan. That's the three and a half trillion that's going to have to be reduced. He wants a little of everything. So mm -hmm. they still don't have that big you know, parameter uh, uh, agreed on chip. So we've got several more weeks to you know flush that out. OK, OK, I. I think that unless you've got something else that you want to get to from this weekend, I think we can move on to the week ahead. Yeah. The only thing Vilsack, Ad Secretary Tom Vilsack, Vilsack last week said the logistics issue, uh, his concern, it's yeah. all also going to impact food shipments to schools. So, you know, this has connections with almost every topic that we talk about here, Jeff. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, just a reminder to everybody that there is a comments tab over on the right side of your screen. If you want to be involved in the conversation, go ahead and click on that comments tab and a dialogue box should pop up for you down at the bottom of the page. Uh, let's go ahead and take the, the, the question that came in from Billy Joe here, Jim. Does anyone know when FSA is going to begin payments on contract poultry growers? We've got the FSA administrators going to speak here later this afternoon. Uh, I don't know whether the regs are out on that program, but I'll I'll ask him. So uh, yeah. you know, you know, we've got the guy you know here to ask that. Zach Ducheneau, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and we've okay. got some other uh, FSA uh, leaders. Uh, John Peterson is is here. Uh, he was going to have dinner with us last night and then turned around when we walked to the restaurant. He wasn't feeling that well, but uh, he'll, he'll have the answer to that one, too. So, again, watch uh, ProFarmer.com, and, of course, we'll, we'll update this uh, on, the, uh, on the next program. Okay. Uh, for the week ahead, there are some Build Back Better Green New Deal issues that I want to talk about. But let's start with this one. I find this interesting. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said he will tee up a floor vote for Wednesday on advancing a Democrat-drafted overhaul 
of U.S. election laws? Well, it why that, now? That's a well, it's a message, Bill. There's not the sixty votes needed uh, in in the Senate to get that chip. It it, it, it could it has and as before, and will again the House, but not the Senate. Then they may take another effort to change the filibuster rule to carve this out just for that. You know, you know, you, you yeah. know that topic, but. Manchin again says he will not go along with that. That he doesn't want any carve outs uh, on the on the on you know getting rid of the filibuster. So it's what we would call a message bill. That's it, Chip. Okay, okay, but it's still going to be worth watching and in the the comments, the rhetoric, and because <laughs> to me this is more opportunity for the Democrats in the Senate to further divide rather than come together, yes. right or wrong. That's that's correct. But okay. you're better off turning the television to the baseball games. Okay. Well, <laughs> okay. Uh, the House says that it will consider three labor-related bills. Again, aren't don't they have enough to do in, instead of bringing in these, these new bills? Well, they have to do something because while they're churning behind the scenes, trying to get agreement. So I understand that. And labor issues, you know, the number one lobby group in town for the Democrats, it's the labor people. And, and the, uh, you know, the unions, as we've seen, uh, know that they have fresh clout, at least right now, relative to the logistics issues, uh, the lack of workers, et cetera. You, you saw that with the uh, mm -hmm. first strike, uh, overall strike at John Deere in many years on, on, uh, on that last week, what was it, Thursday or Friday? Yeah, uh, and that's you know ten thousand uh, you know you know workers right there. Uh, so uh, again, the uh, the labor groups are one of the key constituency groups in the Democratic Party, and Biden knows that, and the key lawmakers know that in the Democratic Party. Right, right, okay. Uh, I guess let's get back to the Build Back Better plan, and let's talk about how they're going to pay for it because. Uh, the the tax changes that are in the reconciliation package are starting to get a little bit more sunlight on them. Yes, and you know, Paul Neifer's here, and he's going oh. to give a speech. So we may have to get Paul back on the program, AgriTalker here, because at dinner last night, he told us he still thinks some version of stepped-up bases language will be included. Now he said that that's that that that's not the the draconian, um, you know, language, uh, but he still thinks that that's going to make it uh, in. That surprised a number of people, including myself. So I'm going to have to do some more checks with my sources uh, in in uh, in Washington. That doesn't mean the transfer tax, Chip. And he also says, and I agree with him on this one, you'll see a significant reduction in the estate tax exemption, uh, uh, more than a few million dollars reductions. Uh, know now that it's a little over $11 million now, uh, you know, and then you double it for a spouse. But then I think it'll they'll take it down to $6 million. So uh, that's one. And then he also does not think that they'll do anything with uh, 1031 land exchanges, at least at this juncture, it doesn't give them enough money, you know, uh, you know, savings. But I'm all, always cautious on this, Chip, because at the at the 11th hour, if they're looking around for X billions of dollars, uh, that's still important as an offset. So I don't I don't like to uh, count anything in or out 
until we see the final package, uh, you know, you know, from the, uh, you know, Democrats. And recall that's 2,500 pages as written yeah. and three and a half trillion dollars. That's $1.4 million a page. Right. Oh. Wow. <laughs> what do they think this is a farm bill? <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's only a thousand dollars a page by the right. way. There's your perspective. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Okay, let's go over here to the comments again. He said, uh, this is from Tanner. In regards about the notion that legislation isn't a viable avenue for the beef industry in making a better uh, market. Chip said it Friday he didn't believe the RFS wasn't a good idea at the time either. But over time, he realized the importance of it to the corn market. Now, I want to make sure that people understand this. I was against the RFS when it came, when it was initially proposed, because my attitude was it takes seven and a half billion gallons of ethanol to replace MTBE as an oxygenate and reformulated gasoline. Let's make the seven and a half billion and then let the market decide which way it's going to take us. And then the RFS comes out at 15 billion gallons of corn-based ethanol. It's not that that's when I realized that it was such a good idea for the corn market. I knew it if that was going to be the case, I knew that it was going to be a, a, a good deal for the corn market. I just wanted the corn market to earn it, not be given it. And why should we force the mandate down somebody's throat? So I, I think that's, that's an important difference here. Um, and then once it became a law, and an industry was built on that law, that's when I've become such a staunch defender of the of the renewable fuel standard. Uh, it's because of the billions of dollars that have been invested because of the RFS into the into the industry. And Jim, you know this, a, a, a huge amount of uh, percentage of those dollars were from farmers. Yeah. So, oh, in the early in the build up oh, oh. of the industry, it made a lot of farmers a lot of money on on their initial investments in facilities. Right, right. So it it's <laughs> we we need to be careful in how I get where you're going here, Tanner. But it was after it became a law is when I became a staunch defender of the RFS because of the investment in the industry. Uh, in concept, why are people afraid of looking at the legislative process as a tool, especially when ethanol is a shining example of how legislation can benefit producers beyond initially thought? Again, that's not beyond initially thought. Uh, I, there are always unintended consequences in every piece of, of legislation, and I can hear the eye ro eyes rolling all over the country when I said that unintended consequences line, because nobody wants to hear about that anymore. They want action. I get that. I get that. They want more of those Packer profits sent down to the producer. I understand that. But we've gone through long stretches of time when the Packers were losing money and producers were making money. It's just that that is flip-flop now. It's part of the cycle. And I, I think we just need to be really careful of, of thinking that we're smarter than the market in sorting this kind of stuff out. I just don't think we are. 
in any time you mandate uh, things, yeah, you do have no, no ifs, ands, or buts, uh, unintended consequences. At the minimum, Chip, they should probably, meaning they, meaning Congress, if they want to dabble in this area, sensitive as it is, do a pilot project. Go into certain locations and, and test some of these ideas. I don't think anybody should be against that. Let's Oh, let's, no. Let's check it out to see. And that's where you can avoid some major uh, glitches uh, in 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 uh, you know in undergoing a reform of pricing mechanisms and things like that, but at tenth yeah. they they don't want to do that. And you know what what we talked about on AgriTalk last week, the book as we call it from Texas A and M. You know there are some uh, you know viable comments about it, but you know this was a peer review. This was just not Texas A and M. You had some pretty good experts across the board. So if you're going to challenge, you're challenging the best academics throughout a multitude of features in the, in the uh, you know, livestock industry. That doesn't mean they're going to be right all the time. It means that uh, this thing, I think, was well thought out as far as the analysis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tanner, it says that it's uh, one of two on the questions. I'm not seeing the second question come up. Jim, do you see it in the comments? Well, he had the ethanol, and then he had the uh, he had the beef, uh, you know, okay. item. That's the two you know, features. Okay, I see. All right. Um, it, another thing that's coming this week is we get the beige book from the Federal Reserve with their minutes. We get that on Wednesday. It, normally, the minutes, the notes in the beige book are, you know, they're anecdotal. They're, yeah, anecdotal, kind of, and even kind of an afterthought. But I think they're going to be very important this time around. Yeah, we're going to see if how many times they mention rising prices, inflation, we're go, you know, shortages. I think there's the ground truth sort of thing. That's why the Beige Book can be important at times to give you kind of the nuances of you know what's you know. Uh, you know what's going on, Chip. And to, to go back on the ethanol in the early days of the mandate, I always have this perspective. I remember there used to be a grain company based out of uh, Kansas uh, called Farmarco. Of course, then it was bought out by Farmland Industries. And I remember going to one of their meetings and the CEO showed a chart and it jumped off the page at me, a significant amount of their net income for Farmarco at the time was a USDA transportation program. And uh, the, the threat was that that program would not continue. And that's exactly what happened about two years later. Uh, that program ended and that really cut into substantially their profits to such a degree that they had to seek a, a, a buyer. Now, relative to the corn-based uh, industry, you've already uh, explained uh, you know, your process. Uh, the industry changed. They have very good products, uh, you know, feed substitutes, uh, uh, the DDGs, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But it can it is going the way of uh, questioning now because the cloud in Washington for uh, the continuation of the RFS as we know it, it's just not there. It's just yeah. not there. And that's why it has to be reborn as far as a different focus and things like that. And the smartest people I know, Chip, when I ask them the bottom question, 
where is this uh, battery uh, industry going to go relative to electronic vehicles? And I always like sim the simplest answers. And one guy told me, he said, look, I don't know how long it's going to take, but you're going to have what we now know as service stations. You're going to pull in eventually and you're going to lift your either trunk or lid and they're going to insert a new battery that they had at that warehouse gas station, if you will, transport station. And you, if you can get that done quicker than you can fill up a, a, a car right now with, you know, gasoline. Now, but you have to have standardization within the battery industry, and that's going to take years. But that was the best explanation I heard of that, that this could eventually be dealt with. Not the same battery for every car. You can have multitude batteries, but you know, it's like you go for a barbecue grill and you, you're rushed and you just exchange tanks, you know, a similar process. It can be that simple. If sure. you know, these these things have to be built, they have to, and I think there's the role of government that's going to come in to build some of these, uh, uh, you know, battery, uh, you know, transport uh, inventory warehouses. But that I think is going to be the future. But I yeah. just know and, the timing. And that's and, why ethanol needs to get into this as far as recasting themselves and the climate change debate. And they're doing it. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're doing a good job right now of changing of, uh, you know, changing the message. Yep. And between now and 2050, when that, when that exchangeable battery is available, I think maybe we need some sort of a transition fuel. One that's yes. maybe lower carbon renewable helps the administration reach some of their, their climate goal, the climate change goals. Yes. And, and, and that's what you're seeing right now, the inability. You have report after report coming out now saying, where was the, the lack of strategy by the leaders of the, uh, of the world to discuss going from X, meaning crude oil, you know, to uh, the new green energy? And that's what we're going through right now. They forgot that middle ground, Jeff, and it was called natural gas. It was called nuclear uh, energy. Uh, Germany yes. relied 30% of their production just a year or so ago on nuclear energy. Angela Merkel was a very good leader, but she just axed it. Yeah. It's an interesting factoid that I was just told this weekend, I can't say the source, but worked for the Obama administration. Obama wanted to go all in on nuclear energy. Then what happened in Japan? Fukushima. Yes. Yeah. And that changed Obama. So we would have had a really big investment in a clean energy, uh, you know, nuclear fuel. Wow. Uh, so some things can happen uh, that can change plans dramatically. But we, we, we have to rely on current fuels, especially natural gas, for the transition. But there's so many glitches here because if how long is it going to take to transition? Because that's going to affect investment money coming into the crude oil industry because you don't want to invest so many billions of dollars knowing it could be cut off as far as the investment in X number of years. So that's called a dilemma right now. And that's what the market's trying to chew through right now. These gotcha. are the best thinkers I know. That's what they're telling me. 
Great discussion there, Jim. Really, really good. You know, I'm just going to leave this ethanol conversation with one last thought. If we would have built it to seven and a half billion gallons and replaced MTBE and then let the, the market drive demand after that, I could argue that we might be seeing demand upwards of 20 billion gallons right now. Because when you let consumers make the right choices, they'll usually make them based on price and benefits instead of it being a mandate. So my, I would argue, I would argue that without the RFS, our ethanol demand could actually be higher than what it is right now. Hmm. And also I think it was the inability at the time of the ethanol industry to talk infrastructure when they really right. needed those wells, those tanks, yep. those, uh, the, uh, the pumps, and they they got too far out ahead of themselves. And this is what the battery people are trying to not do again. They're trying to build up their infrastructure first. That's and right. so that was and really, that's why you had a number of ethanol groups uh, come out and, and formed because of the differences within the ethanol industry between RFS and say growth en energy. Yep. That was the beginning was really the infrastructure issue. Again, I think they're far more on a, on a, on a level path right now, but there's reasons why some of these uh, problems are in existence. It was the lack of vision for the infrastructure of the industry. Jim, we're going to wrap things up. You got any one last thing? All I know is I'm not as bearish corn as I was <laughs> after this meeting because of the Brazil safrina crop. And, you know, if you let markets work, Chip, uh, they'll, uh, I, I think your downside's going to be more limited than I thought. And I think the market's going to be surprised next year when those acres are going to be bid up. Again, uh, we said from what level, but I'm uh, sensing here this demand pull market's going to continue. And who else is going to grow that corn to the degree that if Brazil's crop's not going to be there to the to, to the level that some people think that's going to bid up those acres next year? So I'm I'm not bull yet, but I'm, yep. I'm not a bear. I'm not a bear. All right, coming up this morning on AgriTalk at 10:06 Central, we've got Machinery Pete and Senator Chuck Grassley. And uh, hey, guys, have a great week. Keep watching for those signals.